Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Amen. I just want to say before I begin my message today that I appreciate, especially on a day like today, our baptism team. Uh, you may not know that there are folks behind the scenes back here, uh, Robin and Brenda Creel at 8 o'clock and Addie and Taylor Stanford uh, this morning at 11 o'clock, these two uh, times we did baptism today. Uh, folks back there making sure that uh, everything runs smoothly back there. And they had a big job today, and, and uh, they're behind the scenes, don't get a lot of recognition, don't really want recognition, but I sure do appreciate them. They, they um, make my job a whole lot easier, and, and uh, they, they took care of everybody back there in a great way. So I uh, thank you all so much. Man, thanks for being here today. What a, what a great day. We've had two uh, really good worship services uh, already this morning, 8 o'clock and 9.30, and had folks join the church at 8 o'clock, and then all these baptisms. It's just been a, a sweet day um, in, in God's house, and I'm so thankful we're together. Uh, most of y'all know that uh, this past week I was out of pocket, uh, took a few days, uh, went up to Ridgecrest, North Carolina, around Black Mountain, and I uh, spent some days up there just in a uh, personal prayer retreat, um, uh, doing some sermon planning for 2022, and and uh, just praying a lot about about y'all and about us and what God wants uh, to do in us and through us and for us. And um, it, it was a real sweet, sweet time of fellowship with the Lord, and I appreciate so much y'all letting uh, your staff do that kind of thing. That's really important, and I appreciate it so much that you uh, let us do that. And I think, I'm thankful for a great staff that uh, they don't need me. They can keep, keep right on trucking without me, and I'm so thankful for that too. So, uh, But I'm glad to be back with you today, excited about this time of worship for us today. Uh, Trey and Katie Nichols are uh, some church members in our church. Maybe you've gotten the chance to meet them. Uh, sometimes they come uh, to the 8 o'clock service. Sometimes they're at the 930 refuge service. And uh, But great, uh, great young couple. Got some sweet youngins and, and just, uh, just a great couple. I had the privilege um, years ago to have uh, Katie in my youth group at First Baptist Jackson uh, after I left First Baptist Brookhaven, went to First Baptist Jackson and uh, Katie was in my youth group. Anyway, they got a little girl named Marin, and uh, Marin's four years old now. Uh, she was three when I got this text <laughs> from Katie, and I asked Katie if, when she sent it to me back in May. She sent it to me in May, and I kept it ever since then. I, I, I copied it and put it in my notes on my phone so I could keep it because I knew it one day, one day I was going to need this story, and I asked Katie if I could share it, and this is the this is the day to share the story from Marin. Uh, she is uh, she was three years old at the time, and uh, they had a dog named Josie, and uh, Josie died. Now, if you're a dog person, you understand how traumatic that is. I am a dog person. Y'all know that. I've got a 16-year-old border collie named Buddy who is my buddy, and he goes everywhere with me. And uh, when Buddy, as they say, crosses the Rainbow Bridge, y'all won't see me for a while. I'm just telling you, I'll have to take some days off. It'll be a major death in the family. But So anyway, Josie, their dog, had had died, and uh, three-year-old Marin had something she needed to say about, about this. And so this is their conversation that Katie sent to me. So Marin started off the conversation with Katie, and she said, I really miss Josie. And Katie responded and said, I know, baby. I miss him too. Then Marin said, heaven don't give nothing back. And uh, so that's that's pretty pretty strong statement there. And Katie said, no, baby, no, baby. 
It sure doesn't. If it did, I would want my mama, all my grandparents, Aunt Meg, my dog Lucille, and Josie back. And then Marin said this. She said, all the good stuff is in heaven. All the good stuff is in heaven. And Katie responded, and she said, it sure is. Do you agree with that statement? All the good stuff is in heaven. Man, isn't that the truth? Out of the mouths of babes, out of the mouth of a child, that kind of truth being stated. All the good stuff is in heaven, and it certainly is. And the reason is, it's where Jesus is. And if that's where Jesus is, then it's got to be good. And it's all good because that's where Jesus is. And so we're going to rejoice today and we're going to think about today how good it is and how wonderful it is to know that all the good stuff is in heaven. And we're going to think about that and rejoice today in the promise of heaven, the promise of eternal life that we have as Christ followers. I've been in this sermon series, Keep Your Eyes on Jesus, for the last several weeks. We've just kind of been walking through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John and looking at some different instances and different uh, experiences that Jesus and his disciples had and things like that. And so we're kind of bringing this sermon series to a close today. And uh, But today and next week, we're really going to think about heaven a lot. And we're going to think about the promise and the joy of heaven. There's a couple of statements I want to give you about heaven uh, that I think are very meaningful. One is from the late J.I. Packer, great theologian of our day. And Dr. Packer said, listen, he said, Hearts on earth may say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end. You ever been there? Like you go on a vacation, it's the perfect vacation, you're sitting on the beach, it's wonderful, the weather's been great all week long, it's been wonderful, and you're sitting there, and the sun's going down, the surf, you're just going, I just don't ever want this to end. Or maybe you're a mountain person, and you went to the mountains, and you spent some time, and the colors were great, and it was beautiful, and wonderful, the weather was perfect, you had good food, and wonderful, and you just thought, man, I don't ever want this to end, but guess what, as Dr. Packer says, but invariably it does, doesn't it? I mean, the worst day of every year is the last day of vacation. Amen? I mean, that's it. That's the worst day of the year when you realize this thing's over. i got to go back. i got to get back in the grind. i got to get back to the routine. And so that's what he says there. He says, our hearts on earth in a joyful experience will say, I don't ever want this to end. But he says, invariably it does. But then he says this, but the hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever. And it will. There's no better news than this. Isn't that great? Our hearts in heaven will say, I don't ever want this to end. I want this to go on forever. And guess what? It will go on forever. Dr. Billy Graham, great uh, godly evangelist, said, I believe heaven is a literal place. He said, out there in space, there are, where there are millions of galaxies, many of them 100,000 light years or more in di- diameter, God can find some place to put us. I'm not worried about where it is. I know it's going to be where Jesus is. Heaven. I want us to think about that today. And for us as Christ followers, today and then next Sunday, we're really going to focus, we're going to talk a lot about what heaven and eternal life is all about. Let me tell you how next Sunday is going to look. I want to go ahead and give you a heads up about next Sunday because you need to know this and be prepared to come for that service. Because I want to tell you, I want to give you maybe, I I would even say possibly it could be a, a warning of sorts that next Sunday could be an emotional experience for some of us. But I think that's okay, and I think that it's good for the church, the body of Christ, to experience emotions together. 
Because what we're going to do next Sunday is we're going to actually have a time of celebration, of remembering those loved ones of ours who've gone on before us. And I know everyone in here has somebody that's gone on before you, a family member, a a parent, a grandparent, a child, a a friend. There's somebody, a son or a daughter, somebody that's gone on before you. And even me saying that right now, even me bringing this up right now, has got some of you with a tear forming in the corner of your eye right now. Some of you got a little lump coming up in your throat right now as I start even saying that. But you know what? That's okay. It's okay for us to experience those things. But the joy of heaven is that, the the truth of heaven is that even in the midst of our sorrow, we can have that joy and we can experience that joy together. And so next Sunday, what I want to invite you to do next Sunday is I want to ask you to actually bring a framed picture of a loved one, somebody that's gone on before you, somebody that means a lot to you. I'll bring a picture of my father. Daddy passed away in uh, uh, December the 20th of 2016 after battling Alzheimer's for nine years. Uh, Vicky will bring a picture of both of her parents. They passed away less than a year after my father passed away. We lost both of her parents. And so uh, she'll bring a picture of, of them. And sometime in the service next week, we'll, we'll honor those that uh, we are going to think about next Sunday. Uh, I'm, you're gonna, I'm not going to keep your pictures, but we're going to use those pictures uh, next week in our worship service. So come, and uh, you know that you might need to bring a Kleenex. You might, it might get a little emotional. We're not trying to make it an emotional experience. We're not just trying to pluck on your heartstrings and, and do that. But I think that it is good for us to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and support and encourage one another. Because grief is real work isn't it? It's hard work. You know, you can't go around grief. You wish you could. You wish you could go around it. You wish you could jump over it. I don't want to go through it. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm just going to jump over it. I'm going to dig and tunnel beneath grief, so I won't have to do it. No, 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 no. You know, because you're in the midst of it, some of you, and I am too. We have to go through it. We have to work hard, and it's hard work, and sometimes it's difficult. Man, just this past week, just this past week, my oldest son, Reese, who was extremely close. All of my kids were really close to their grandparents. My mom is the only one still alive, but uh, very close. But Reese and his granddaddy, Vicky's father, had a, uh, uh, see, had an especially close relationship. Reese still even has his old Lincoln Town car. You know, he's, he's still got that car. And something happened this past week. I can't even remember what it was. I think uh, it had to do with Veterans Day. I know it was something around Veterans Day because Vicky's father was in the Army Reserve as a chaplain. And something struck Reese, and he called Vicky, crying like a baby. And Brother Mac has been gone for, uh, you know, since uh, 2018, been gone three or four years now. You see, and it's the same way for you. You know, you you see somebody or you pass somebody in the grocery store and their the back of their head looks like your grandfather. They're, you you smell uh, some some food cooking and it reminds you of something that your mama used to cook. It's, it's, it's the hard work of grief. And so next Sunday, we're going to talk about that and we're going to work through that, but we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the joy and the promise and the hope and the assurance that we as Christ followers have in heaven. And we're going to do that today too. So grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. A very familiar passage of Scripture to you. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. You can use a pew Bible if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you today, your own copy, then grab a pew Bible and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14, 
verses 1 through 6. And so would you stand please as we read this passage of Scripture together. It's Jesus' words. If you've got a red letter edition of the Bible, there you see red letters in front of you where Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Jesus said, And you know the way where I'm to the, to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. And then Jesus said those words that you probably know, John chapter 14, verse 6, where he said, I am the way. Thomas, you know the way because I am the way. You know me. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except they come through me. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now by the power of your spirit to hear from you today, to be taught by your spirit, the truth of your word, and then by your spirit, have the power and ability to apply it to our lives and to live it out in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Martin Luther said years ago, he said, this is the best and most comforting sermon that Jesus ever preached. This is the best and most comforting sermon that Jesus ever preached. And you think about it, and it's a good thing that it was, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew, because he was God with skin on, so he knew what was going on, and he knew that right now, at this point in his ministry, his disciples, his followers, needed some words of comfort in a big-time way. They needed to hear Jesus give them comfort. Because think about where we are. Now, let's just kind of think about chronologically where we are in the Gospel of John, chronologically where we are in Jesus' life. John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, this, this whole section of Scripture right here, this is it. We're, we're, we're coming to an end here. We're about to finish up. Jesus is about to finish up his earthly life, his earthly ministry. This is it. After he says this, and then the next few chapters, John 15, 16, John 15 is where he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 16, he moves into that. John 17 is the incredible high priestly prayer. Go look that up this week. Go read John chapter 17 this week and read and hear Jesus pray for you in John chapter 17. But then after that, after you finish up John chapter 17, we go into the garden. We go into the garden of Gethsemane. Judas betrays Jesus. The soldiers grab him. The soldiers take him in. They have the mock trial. They beat him. They flog him. They do all the things that you and I know the Word of God tells us happens to Jesus. After that, they go from that into the cross, and they pound the, the nails into his hands and feet, and they smash the crown of thorns upon his head, and he's ripped to shreds, and he's humiliated, and all the things are happening to him. And he goes into the grave. He's crucified, and then he dies, and he goes into the grave. Three days later, he comes out of the grave victorious, and he ascends back to the Father. We know, but this is where we are. We're at the end. And Jesus knew that these disciples, these guys that had given their lives for him, 
I mean, Peter and James and John and Andrew, they had left their fishing boats. They had left their careers. They had left their livelihood. Uh, Matthew had left his tax collector's booth, given up a lucrative lifestyle. All of these guys had left their everyone, left their fathers and mothers. That they had left families. They had left to come and follow this man. And in just a matter of, literally a matter of hours here from John chapter 14, their lives were about to dissolve into total chaos. They were about to be more terrified than they've ever been in their entire lives. They were about to be more discouraged and more depressed than they have ever. You think you're discouraged and depressed right now, and some of you are. Listen, Jesus understands that because these guys right here are about to be more discouraged and depressed than you can even comprehend or imagine. There's no way we can understand the discouragement that they're about to experience. But you know what that does mean? Jesus knows where you are. If you're discouraged or depressed right now, he knows where you are. These guys are about to go into grief, a depth of grief that is almost incomprehensible. As they watch this man that they've given their lives for, this man that they have followed, this man that they had watched, this man that they had learned from, this man that they had observed him healing people and touching people and reaching out to the unreachable people and the untouchable people and loving people that nobody else loved and touching people that nobody else would touch and minister to people that nobody else would minister to people and bringing people out of the grave and bringing people back to life and healing and feeding and doing. They'd done all of this and now he's about to leave them. Terrified, discouraged, depressed, grieving. You see how important it was for Jesus said, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. And he says that same thing to you, my friend. Wherever you are right now, if you're in the midst of grief, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you're in the midst of depression and discouragement, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you're in the midst of fear and anxiety, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Listen, Jesus could have, <laughs> I mean, not only did he know what these guys were about to go through, he knew what he was about to go through. He knew that soon he would be suffering. He knew that soon he'd be scorned. He knew that soon he would be humiliated. He knew that soon he would be abused and tortured and killed. He knew that. So he could have just said, you know what, guys? Look, I've been with you for three years, but now it's time for me to take care of me. Boy, isn't that just like us sometimes? That's what we would have done. But he didn't. He said, I'm more concerned. I want these guys to experience comfort. I want them to know that it's going to be okay. I've got a plan for them. I've got hope for them. So don't be discouraged, guys. Don't lose your heart. Don't be troubled. He knew what was going on. John MacArthur said, if you ever get to the point that you think you've run out of escapes and there aren't any more places where you can rest, you'll find a tremendously soft, downy pillow in John chapter 14, 1 through 6. So for the Christ follower, for these guys that were still with him, these words brought tremendous comfort. They might not have completely understood it right then, but they would look back and go, you know, we see what Jesus meant now. And for you and me here today, these words bring us comfort. 
These are words of that soft, downy pillow that we can land on. Bring us assurance. They bring us hope. They, they bring us joy in the midst of sorrow. The world does not understand that. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Amen. We've got hope and His name is Jesus. We, th these words give us the promises that we need to have the strength to carry on. These words give us assurance and great assurance that we need when our world is caving in. And certainly we look around us and we can see how our world certainly seems to be caving in. These words are tremendous words of comfort. And the application for this message today, very simply and profoundly, is that knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus, two important words there, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus assures us of the promise of heaven and eternal life. Knowing Jesus. So I'm going to give you, don't let me scare you when I say this, <laughs> I'm going to give you five points today. Five points, five facts comforting facts about this very real place called heaven. Let me talk about it. Let's talk about it right now. Well, let's talk about this place. First, first of all, it's a safe place. It's a safe place. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, in my, whose house? Father's house. In my father's house. Man, you think about all the, think about all the houses that we that we think about, that we have some kind of connection with. You think about in our world, the White House. Uh, I'm a fireman, a firefighter, the fire, the firehouse. I mean, Waffle House, amen, Waffle House, you know, uh, cheesesteak omelet and hash browns, man, or, you know, um, um, the house of, uh, international house of pancakes, I mean, or, or steakhouse, I mean, I don't know why I'm stuck on houses, uh, food eating places, but, but houses, How? we men know what a doghouse is, amen, I mean, so we think about houses, uh, we just came through. Halloween, so haunted house. But let me tell you something. Let's talk about the Father's house. The Father's house, man, there is no greater, there is no safer place than the Father's house. Amen? No greater place. No safer place than the Father's house. And man, when our world, our world is so dangerous. Our, our world is so scary. Our world is so uncertain in every arena right now. Uh, you know, our economy, I don't, th I know I don't have to tell you, but you look at our economic, somebody told me after the 930 service about a economic situation that has just happened in the Delta that is going to affect hundreds of people in the Delta, which means it'll probably affect us. The economy and craziness, men, the morality or the immorality of our world or even inside the church sometimes Immorality, the, the, the struggles, the, the, the uncertainty, the scary things. Listen, the scary things about technology. I, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago, and I wish I hadn't read it because it, I mean, I'm 57 years old, so there's a lot about technology I don't understand. I need to find some eighth grader to explain it to me. But I just, but I was reading this article about technology that is coming our direction, and within within the next five to ten years, the monumental changes that are going to happen in your life and my life because of technology that is coming. It is frightening. But we don't have to worry. 
Because in the midst of the craziness of our world and, and everything that we see going on around us, our comfort comes in knowing that no matter what we go through in this life, and no matter how bad things get in this life, and it's bad and it's going to get worse, that we have a safe place that we're going to. A safe place that we can look forward to. Now between here and there, we got a lot of work to do. We got a whole lot of work to do. There's still 4.5 billion lost people in this world. There's a whole lot of work for us to do. There's a whole lot of things that we're going to be going through in the days to come. But we got a safe place in our Father's house to look forward to. So it's, it's, it's a safe place. So thankful for the safe place, where that place where we will be eternally safe. Never have to worry about anything else that could endanger us or our family or anything ever again. It's a safe place. It's a big place. Secondly, it's a big place. In my father's house are many rooms. Now, you King James folks are upset because I didn't say mansions. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, so just hang on, all right? In my father's house are many rooms. Back in the day when I was youth minister at First Baptist Brookhaven, back in the 90s, there was a song that came out by a group called Audio Adrenaline called Big House. In my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. A big, big table with lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can play what? Football. That's right. So we, we, used to, we used to listen to that. It's a big house, but that, that, that song that we listened to back then just tells us that it, our father's house is a, it's a huge place. It's a big place, man. It, I'll tell you this. It's got enough room in it for every person, every person who has given their life to Christ up to this point at 11.55. I know the time. 11.55 on November the 14th, 2021. Is there's enough room for everybody that's been saved up to this very minute. And there's enough room for anybody in this room or anybody watching this service on TV or Facebook right now for anybody who gives their life to Christ today. There's still enough room for you too. Because it's a big, big place. It's a big place. Man, there's, there's, there, there's plenty of room. But you need to understand this. You need to understand this. You do not have a room there. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a room there because you're sitting in church today. You don't have a room there because you're living a really good moral life. You don't have a room there because you got a big old study Bible sitting on your lap. You don't have a room there because you're a pastor. You don't have a room there because you're on a church staff or you're a deacon or a life group leader. You don't have a room there because you're, you try to keep the Ten Commandments. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have a room there. But for those of us who know Christ, there'll be plenty of room. Plenty of room for us to worship Jesus. Plenty of room for us to fellowship with all of those who's gone on before us. That great reunion's coming. There'll be plenty of room for us to do that. Plenty of room for us to be together. Plenty of room for us to just rest. Aren't you thankful that rest is coming? It's a big place. Now, there's a lot of folks that have the idea that they're going to be rows upon rows of glittering mansions up on the hilltop. And you're going to have a mansion waiting on you. 
The Southern Gospel songs have fostered that thought. Nothing wrong with Southern Gospel songs. My two brothers and I, my daddy, we, we and Gil, we've sung, we've sung Southern Gospel together. We sing quartet music. I understand I like Southern Gospel music, but Southern Gospel has fostered the idea that there's going to be a mansion over the hilltop waiting on me. Well, I don't care where my mansion is as long as my mansion is next door to Jesus. I just want to make sure I got a clear title to my mansion. Those songs make us feel good. Those songs have a real sentimental value to them. But those songs are not biblically, biblically based. They don't, there's not a biblical basis for there being a bunch of mansions in heaven. The Greek word for New Testament in the New Testament here does not say that. The King James interpreted it that way. Somebody somewhere thought, well, let's talk about mansions, but that's really not what it means. What this literally means is, what this verse literally means says, it says that in God's house, there is a place for all of us who are in his family to live together in his house, not in all of our separate houses up and down the road to heaven. We're all going to be together. You stuck with me forever. You don't get to check out and go, I'm leaving. I'm going to my mansion for a while. You stay here. That's not the way this is going to be. We're all going to be together. Now, I hope that doesn't disappoint you because let me tell you something, my friends. When you and I get to heaven and you see Jesus face to face, you ain't going to be worried about having a mansion because you're going to be looking at Jesus who has given his life for you. And you're going to see the nail prints in his hands and feet. And you're going to rejoice that you're in the presence of your Savior. And you're going to realize that you don't even deserve to be there. It's only by the grace of God that you're looking into the face of your Savior. And you're not going to worry about where your mansion is or if you've got a mansion. It's a big place. It's a safe place, a big place. It's a prepared place. It's a prepared place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Man, what a, what a word of comfort to his disciples because he wasn't just saying, hey, look, I'm going away from y'all because I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm tired of you. I don't want to be with you. He was saying to them, I have to go because I have to go prepare a place for you. Now, again, when we think about that, we may have the mental picture of Jesus getting to heaven and snapping on his heavenly tool belt and going to work on our mansions. But we already figured out the mansions are going to be there. So what's this all about? What Jesus was saying was that the way that he prepared a place for us was he did that. He prepared the place by going here very soon and dying on the cross for us, purchasing our salvation for us, making it possible for every born-again child of God to have a place in God's house he said I'm going to prepare a place for you I have to go he had to go he had to go he had to go to the cross he could have said I, I'm going to the cross to prepare a place for you because that's what he meant he said I've got to go I had to go he had to go to the cross he had to go through God's judgment for your sin when he's hanging on the cross, what did he cry out to his father or his father? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why he cried that out? Because God was pouring out the judgment of God on all of our sins so that if you will accept Jesus Christ, you won't suffer the judgment for your sin. 
But if you don't accept Jesus Christ, you will suffer the judgment for your sin in hell. Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to go through the judgment for our sin. He had to go into the tomb for three days. He had to go back to heaven, to the right hand of the throne of God where he is right now interceding for you and me. And one day soon he's going to come back to get us so that we can go with him to that place that he's prepared for us. That's what it's all about. He had to go prepare a place for us. So it's a prepared place that Jesus himself has prepared for us. And only Jesus, listen y'all, only Jesus, only Jesus has the authority to, to prepare that place. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else has that authority. Nobody else has that ability. Nobody else has that power. Nobody else has that right. Only Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, could go and prepare that place for us. It's a prepared place. It's a destination place. It's a destination place where Jesus said, where I am, there you may also be. A destination. Now, what do you mean by that, John? You've heard of destination weddings, right? Destination weddings. That's where, where a, a bride decides that she's not going to have her wedding at home, but she's going to go somewhere else that's special or meaningful or something like that to have their wedding ceremony. And there's, there's nothing wrong with it. A lot of, lot of people choose to do that these days. But you leave your home and go somewhere else to another destination to have your wedding. That's what a destination wedding is. But listen to me. Let me tell you something, y'all. There's nothing. Now, it may be special and meaningful to go somewhere else to have your wedding, but I want to tell you something. There's nothing more special. There's nothing more meaningful than knowing that our destination is to be with Jesus forever. That's our destination. A destination wedding means you leave your home. But for us as believers, we're going to our home. And our home is with Jesus. It's a destination place. And then finally, it's an exclusive place. It's an exclusive place where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except to come through me. It's an exclusive place. Dr. Robert Jeffers is the pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas. I know Tom and Carol uh, really uh, like him a lot. I do too. Great preacher, great leader. He wrote an article recently, and the title of the article was, it caught my attention, and here's the title. The title of the article was, Christianity's Most Offensive Belief. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Christianity's Most Offensive Belief. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. So that's what offends people the most. Where they look at us when we say that, when we say, you got to have Jesus, you got you to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you want to go to heaven, you want to have eternal life, you got to trust Jesus. They go, man, are you, are you crazy? Y'all are so narrow minded, <laughs> so exclusive. Y'all think y'all the only ones that got this thing figured out? Really? Yeah. Nobody else. There's no other religion that's going to get you there. I don't care which religion you choose. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. He's very exclusive. The sad thing is, is that recent, recent polls, research has been taken that the majority, and I mean a strong majority, well north of 50%, 
of people who call themselves Christians that are sitting in churches all across America right now this morning would say that other religions can also get you to heaven. I'm just here to tell you, my friends, there's only one way, and his name is Jesus. Remember back in the 70s, I guess it was kind of on the tail end of the Jesus movement, there used to be stickers everywhere. I'd get these orange stickers and stick them on my Bible and my backpack and my bicycle and whatever, little orange stickers, and it would just say, one way, Jesus. Y'all remember those? Just one way, Jesus. One way, Jesus. They were everywhere. I think we better get back to that message. But there is only one way. It's an exclusive place. This place, this, this safe place, this, this big place, this prepared place, this destination place, there is only one way for you and me to get there, and that is through Jesus Christ alone. Through Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way. So the truth of Jesus' words make that very, very clear. He said to his disciples, said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. I'm not one of the ways. You just choose one that feels good to you, and you go end up there. No, 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 no. Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other way except me. I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the truth. I am truth. There's no other truth except what you find in Jesus. He said, I am the life. Apart from me, there is no life. I am the life. And the only way you come to the Father, the only way you come to this place I've prepared is you come through me. So the question for you today is, are you 100% sure today that if this is your last day on this earth, this is the last day that you will be physically alive? And by midnight tonight, you will not be with us any longer. Do you know with 100% certainty that you have a place reserved for you in heaven? Not because you're a good person. Not because you're a preacher. Man, I got a pastor friend of mine that got saved after he had been in the ministry for 10 or 15 years. Been preaching about being behind this pulpit is not going to get me to heaven. I will tell you, your pastor is saved. I'll promise you that. But I know pastors that have given their lives to Christ. I'm thankful that they did, but after they've been preaching the gospel for 10 or 15 years, they've given their lives to Jesus, realize they weren't saved. What about you? Do you know for sure that if you died today that you would go to heaven, that you have 100% certainty? If you don't, then you can walk out of this room today with that certainty. You can walk out of here today knowing that you got a place reserved and prepared for you through Jesus Christ alone. All you got to do is do what the Word of God says, and that's call out to Him to be saved. And we'll do that in just a moment. If you need Jesus, you can pray. To, you just found out why you're supposed to come, why you came to church today. It's because you need Jesus. You need to give your life to Jesus today. We're going to pray in just a minute. If you need to be saved, I want to invite you to pray with me and give your life to Christ today. For those of you that know that you've got a, you're sure that you've got a personal relationship with Jesus, you know that you're saved today, well, then how's your walk with the Lord right now? Are you helping other people get ready to go? Are you serving the Lord? Are you working for Him? Are you living for Him? Or are you just kind of sitting back going, man, I got my place in heaven. That's all I'm really worried about. Well, then, then, then shame on you if that's the truth. If that's all you're living for. 
And we're saved to serve. We need to be serving him. So maybe you need to step it up and realize that today is a day that you need to recommit your life to Jesus. He's got a place for us, y'all. I'm excited about going there. And I want you to go with me too. So if you need Jesus, would you pray with me right now? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help us today, Lord? These moments of invitation to do what it is that you're calling us to do. Maybe in this room today, Lord, or somebody that's watching this service today on TV, now is the day. Now is the time. Today is the day. They know that it's time. It's time for them to be saved. So right now, Lord, I pray that you draw them to you as they call out to you. And if you need Jesus, would you call out to him? As the Lord speaks to your heart, you call out to him right now. And just say to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I am lost without you. Only you can save me. So I receive you today as my Savior. I ask you to save me right now. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And I ask you to help me to live for you now for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.